Collaborate. I'm your host, Jody Sperling. Once in a great while, you have the opportunity to speak with somebody you really shouldn't have access to. And I think that that was the case with today's episode, talking to Seth Williams. He has created an incredibly successful community through RE Tipster and spent over a decade doing so. RE Tipster is an exhaustive resource for anybody interested in investing in raw land, flipping that land, as well as other forms of real estate. Something that struck me immediately when I first found RE Tipster, uh, as I was a real estate investor and still uh, am, is that everything on the site is incredibly valuable and it's free. If you just spend the time reading through the various blog articles, watching the different videos, and just consuming that content, you can learn how to create your own LLC, how to create a buyer's website, a seller's website, who to mail, how to find them, and pretty much everything that you would need to know to start your own land flipping business. And you'd never have to pay a dime for that information. There is nowhere else that I've ever found that gives away all that kind of information for free. So maybe you're listening to this and that's something that you want to check out. I would really encourage you to. Another thing that I want to note is I'm almost always sniffing for people's egos because I am a very ego-driven person. And Seth is probably the first person that I've run into where I really can't find an ego. Seems like he's doing everything he's doing just for the passion of doing something well. Super impressive. I agree, Chewy. That's uh, our podcast co-host checking in. And uh, he wants you to know that he also listened in to Seth and and found... uh, him to be free of ego and just absolutely dialed in and interested in having a conversation. Um, And that's the final note I'd like to make on this podcast uh, is this is early on for me. So please forgive me for some awkward moments. I think that I did not always do a great job asking questions. And Seth really hung in there with me a couple of times while he almost tried to clarify what I was asking. Um, I think that we got something great out of this. I think that we explored some interesting things and I hope that, uh, you enjoy listening to this. If you do, as always, please like, share, mix, remix, volley, fire, flip, toss, all those things. Because telling stories requires listeners, and we want the most listeners we can for great stories like these. Please look in the show notes. Seth does have a couple of podcasts, Sorry Tipster Podcast, as well as Storyland. The links for those shows will be in the notes. And any other miscellaneous links that we speak about in the podcast, you'll find in the show notes as well. Please enjoy. Seth Williams. Seth Williams, uh, welcome to the Create Collaborate podcast. Appreciate you uh, joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jody. It's good to be here. Yeah. So I'm going to give a little bit of a background, but I'm going to ask you to kind of let the listeners know what you do. Um, I found you on RE Tipster. So uh, I spent uh, several years kind of building a real estate holding uh, and listened to an episode of a podcast that you were on uh, called Bigger Pockets. For anybody who doesn't know it, it's probably one of the largest real estate investing podcasts out there. And, and I think that RE Tipster has uh, definitely stepped up and, and uh, added to that area and specialized in land flipping. So uh, you've created an amazing community and I know a life for yourself with Ari Tipster. Um, what would you want my listeners to know about that business starting off? Yeah. Well, about like uh, 
the land investing business or about RE Tipster or both or? Yeah, a little bit of both. So, how, you yeah. know, we'll talk probably about how you came to create it, but yeah, just kind of a snapshot of what RE Tipster is and how it came to yeah. be. Yeah. So RE Tipster is basically a, <clears throat> sort of like a, a, started as a journal of sorts where I would just kind of put things that I learned, like my key lessons and takeaways and things that have worked for me in the land flipping business and also in other real estate niches like rental properties and self-storage and stuff like that. Um, and I, I got the idea after finding a couple other blogs that weren't even in real estate that had just been profoundly helpful to me. Like I couldn't believe how much real, just like great information that was worth paying for. And people were just putting out there for free. And I saw the impact it made on me. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I could do that for real estate. And so I just set out to like really put together complete comprehensive thoughts and lessons and actionable content for people. And uh, that was back in 2012 when I started it. And it's, I've been doing a blog post a week or more uh, ever since then. And it's been a lot of fun. So that's kind of what RE Tipster is all about. Gotcha. So, so you're a decade deep now in building that business. Um, is there an aha moment for you when you realized what it was going to be, or did it sort of trick you and you realized somewhere in that you had something unique and special? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really know how far it was going to go or if it was going to blow up or not. I just, I knew that I wanted to make an impact in some way for at least one person. And so, you know, I just, I almost like put together this avatar in my head of the person I'm trying to help somebody who, you know, sort of is kind of convinced about real estate, but they just don't know, or maybe they don't realize all the opportunity or the different ways they could find deals and make money. And um, so, you know, I I think in terms of an aha moment, um, probably the first time somebody reached out to me in the email, the content of of their email was like, Man, Seth, I hope you never stop publishing stuff on RE Tipster because it it has done so much for me. Like I, I'm just hungry for it. And every week I, I go go here and I, I can't wait to see what you have to say. And I was like, wow, really? Like somebody cares that much about what I'm doing? That's amazing. And I, I early on I realized I was reading another blogger who was talking about how anytime anybody goes to your website and spends even one second of their time, like that's gold. Like the, mm-hmm. think of all the different places they could be spending their time and they're coming to hear what you have to say. Like, that's a big deal. And don't take that for granted. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've tried to just keep that perspective and just realize like, I'm not here to waste people's time. Like if people show up, I want to really deliver the goods in a way that's going to make an impact. Um, yeah, absolutely. I wonder too, is there an element where, you knew that you needed it to be a business that worked for you. Was there any kind of all-in mentality of like, this has to work for me as well as um, knowing that you were giving something to the community? Did you also need the community to give back? What is, uh, I'm not really asking that question very well, but maybe the intent's coming yeah. through. Yeah. Like, um, like basically what did I need to see out of it in order to spend my time on it? That kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I knew I needed to monetize it in some way. Like it couldn't just be a labor of time and just nothing back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to find sort of creative ways to, you know, talk about things that I was using in my business, like whether it was the phone service or the way I was building my website in explaining to other people how they could do it too. And, you know, at the bottom of that saying, this is what I use. Here's an affiliate link to go check it out if you want to, but you don't have to, it's just, yeah. just the one I use. And my, my goal was really to, to not pitch people on stuff because I, I hate the feeling of being sold to, and I don't ever want to be that to somebody else. 
Um, and so, I, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because I mean, usually what I, my approach is not to overhype anything, but just to like, just help, you know, mm-hmm. and if somebody decides to buy it, awesome. But my goal is to never like shove it down somebody's throat. And, um, and it seems to have worked. I mean, it, I think it's something that it takes a bit of like traffic and eyeballs and attention and time. But I think if you're doing it well and doing it consistently and doing it for years, it's a pretty beautiful thing because like, I, I don't really sell people on anything, but money still comes in from it. And, and it happens pretty organically too, which I love about it. So yeah, uh, I don't know if I just got lucky with the things I'm writing about or if it was something, something I did, but it seems to be working. Yeah, I would, I would guess it's working even better than I realized. How big is the community at this point? Yeah, it kind of depends how you measure that. Um, yeah. Like our forum had, you know, like the public forum that we started about a year and a half ago. I think there's like a few thousand members of that now. So it's not massive, but, you know, there's people that come there consistently. Our Facebook group, I think it's around 4,000 people. I haven't looked wow. at the number lately. Uh, YouTube has a little over 40,000 subscribers. So um, yeah, it just kind of depends on which platform you're looking at, but, sure. um, in, in terms of like monthly traffic, it's usually been somewhere between 50 and a hundred thousand visitors per month, um, over the past year or two. And that's, uh, that number's kind of jumped around a little bit. And a lot of those visitors are like people who just happen to land on the site once and they leave and never come back. So I don't know how meaningful that is, but, yeah. but you know, gives you an idea for how many people see the content. Yeah. So I I have spent the last decade and a half um, as a, a fiction writer. And so it was a little bit of a late bloomer. Didn't really discover that that's what I loved until I was past traditional college age. Um, and then I, I found out that there was a program at the college that would maybe work for me. And so I, I went down that road. Awesome. Um, yeah. And, and spent a lot of time writing in the dark, you know, you're, you're, you're working on your craft and you share it with the people who love you and can't tell you you're a loser. Uh, and they kind of give you a little bit of feedback and you realize that they're trying to be nice. Uh, There's so much time spent developing in the dark. And I, I imagine, uh, for you that it's not the day that you saw Ari tipster and then how many years until, you know, you go from being in the dark, developing that to when it's successful, but probably even further back, um, Kind of with that theme, can you talk to me a little bit about that period of of developing or honing what you're good at in the dark? Because I've seen some of your early videos where you talk about even learning to talk to the camera is a challenge. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, so some of that. It's still a challenge, me. honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so, I mean, yeah, that's a great question. Because it's funny. I didn't realize you were uh, a fiction writer. That's something I've been working on writing children's stories over the past, like, six to 12 months. Um very different process, I'm sure, than what you're going through. But I, I understand the enjoyment behind that. It's a really fun process. But uh, just in terms of like, you know, there's actually a few different angles to look at it because, you know, I write for a blog, have a YouTube channel and a podcast, and they're all sort of related, but also sort of distinctly different. Like being being a good writer does not make you a good person on video and vice versa. So right. um, I think maybe what I'm what I've been good enough at is I understand like from a consumer standpoint, like when I see a really good video, I can sort of dissect it and figure out like, why was that such a good video? Like, why did I love watching that? Like, was it what they said? Was it like the camera angles? Was it the way they cut it up? Like, was it funny or interesting? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I can sort of figure out like, why was it good? And then, okay. So if I wanted to do that, 
but delivering this other message. How could I do the same thing and approach it the same way? And sometimes that takes a ton of time. And if you watch a lot of the videos on my YouTube channel, it, I mean, you'll notice there's a lot of like very different format. Like sometimes I'll do just a screenshot video. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll be just a talking head video. Sometimes it's this weird listicle video with, you know, me Mm -hmm. talking in the background. And um, the reason I do that is because like, I don't really know what's going to, you know, work with people. And so I'm just trying a bunch of stuff to see what works. And sometimes I'll work on something that I think is going to be huge and like, nobody cares. Nobody watches it. And other times I'll just kind of throw something together, not thinking anything of it and it blows up. So um, but you kind of notice trends over time and you can sort of figure out, okay, so, you know, these ones have all done pretty well. Why could that be? What do they all have in common? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the benefit you have of just doing it for years as you see those kind of patterns. And uh, in terms of writing, so that's, that's something that even today I find that the more times I can like write something out and then sleep on it and come back the next day and then chisel away things and then sleep on it and come back with a fresh set of eyes and chisel more stuff away. Sometimes I'll do it like 10 times. And every time I do it, it gets a little bit better. Whereas if I just kind of do a brain dump and publish it, like it just doesn't land that well because it's not really that well thought out. And um, so, yeah, I think just being willing to come back to it again and again and realize that like, I'm not perfect. Like I'm, I'm probably mm-hmm. going to not nail this the first time or the second yeah. time or the third time. Um, and so, sometimes I'll, I'll read through some of the stuff that I wrote like six years ago. And I'm just like, Ooh, I can't believe this has been out there for that long. <laughs> it's really bad. And I have to like, either just take it down or like totally rewrite the thing. Um, but just, I think the attitude of realizing, like, I'm not a genius, like I'm not that smart. And there's a, mm-hmm. uh, there's just always going to be stuff that I'm going to going to get wrong. And there's always going to be opportunities to do things better and um, almost approaching it from the standpoint of like, I'm more of a student than a teacher. Like I'm, I'm figuring this out as I go along. So one of the interesting things, and I, I, in some ways relate to that idea of I'm not that great. It feels like it's been such an important piece to learn along the way is you may have huge ambitions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you think that you're equal to those. I mean, people talk about imposter syndrome. And sometimes I think if you, if you get to the level of success that you're at, I mean, you might wake up tomorrow and be like, I don't deserve the success I'm having. Maybe you've already had that. I don't know, but um, I do. It, it's, it's a, it's a really strange thing. How, how, how do you handle that? Um, not necessarily the imposter syndrome part of it, but there's a very objective piece of, as you're going down this trail, uh, all along the way, you think I'm not that great. So why are people going to care about what I'm putting out there? And that's kind of yeah. the adverse face of the coin. Yeah. That's a great question. Well, in terms of like how I deal with it, some of it is just ignoring it. Like just realizing this is bothering me, but I don't know how to fix it, but I also still want to keep doing what I'm doing. So I'm just going to keep plowing forward. And I kind of forget about it for a while until it comes back and harasses me again. But I think another thing that has helped me a lot is um, whether I need to say this to myself or just like publicly say this to everybody watching or listening, just this idea of like, even if I don't say it outright, just conveying the undertone of like, I'm not the best. Like, don't think of me as like this authority on the subject. I'm figuring things out along with you. And once you kind of say that, it takes the pressure off, at least in my head, it takes the pressure off. Hmm. And uh, like a lot of the, a lot of the videos that I'll put out, 
you know, like I, I just discovered this really cool map of the U.S. Uh, a few date or last week that mm-hmm. um, that shows you where all the publicly owned land in the U.S. is. Just a, it's a really cool thing. So like when I when I make a video about that, like my approach isn't like, you know. I'm the key master and I'm going to show you exactly how to like <laughs> rule the world. It's more of like, Hey, I just yeah. discovered this thing. You know, like this is new to me too, but check it out. This is how it works. And when I approach it that way, it's, it's not this like cocky, arrogant, like I'm this amazing know-it-all person. It's more of like, Hey, you know, it's almost like I'm, I'm in a mastermind group with somebody. Like I'm trying mm-hmm. to share with them what works for me. Cause that's really what I'm doing. It's, it's not that I can like guarantee their success or, you know, give them the keys to the kingdom. It's just, Here's something that might help you. There you go. Mm-hmm. And um, I, to me, I feel like that's a more honest approach, really, because I, I don't know everything, and there's lots of stuff I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not the best at. And if that means somebody's like gonna ignore me or think I'm dumb or something, it's like, okay, so be it. I'm, I am who I am, and this is what I know. Hi, everyone. This is Saeed Serafizadeh. I'm the author, most recently, of the short story collection, American Estrangement. I'm going to read about myself in the third person, briefly from the dust jacket. Serafizadeh's new collection of stories, some of which have appeared in the New Yorker, the Paris Review, and the Best American Short Stories, is set in contemporary America, full of a kind of emotionally bruised characters familiar to readers of Dennis Johnson and George Saunders. Searing, intimate, often slyly funny, and always marked by a deep imaginative sympathy, American estrangement is a testament to our adult times. And just as a teaser, here's the opening line from the story audition. The first time I smoked crack cocaine was the spring I worked construction for my father on his new subdivision in Moonlight Heights. You'll have to buy the book to see how that story turns out. So you talked about, uh, and I'm kind of going in a different direction here a little bit, but you had mentioned that you were working on, on children's books. One of the things that has impressed me from the beginning when I found you was that your, your blog posts are so well-written. Um, and it makes sense when you're saying you take you know 10 drafts more or less to kind of get what you want out of it. Yeah. Um, is that an early life thing that you've always loved writing, reading? Where does that play a role in your life? Yeah. So writing, I've had a weird, complicated relationship with it. I, when I was like in college, trying to write college papers, like I would routinely fail. Like I did real, ba- really bad at college academic style writing. I eventually figured out what my professors were looking for and I finally figured it out. But, mm-hmm. um, but something that I, I think maybe I did get at an early age is just this idea of telling a story in a way or almost writing in a way that I would speak, but still following some basic grammar rules so that it's understandable. Yeah. And uh, I guess I can't really put my finger on it, but I know enough somehow to get the point across and people can understand it and walk away with some. And I, ideally I, I want to make it not boring. And I, something I'm even learning today is the, uh, the usefulness of eliminating words. Like if I can say an entire sentence and communicate everything in five words, do it in five words instead of 10 words or 15 or 20 words, like don't drone on and on and on. Just get to the point and let people burn 
as few calories as possible mentally <laughs> to get the point. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's something I've been trying to be mindful of. And again, like when I look at some of my earlier blog posts, man, I was super wordy, unnecessarily so on a lot of stuff. So, you know, I've, I've not always been great at this, but I'm trying to get better at it. Your, the, the length of your blog post is always nice because uh, you you do uh, elaborate quite a bit. And I think that that's something that stands out when I read your work is that you're not afraid to to write a, a long scrolling page on something. Um, yeah. You know, you break up the text really nice for internet. That's still something I've always struggled with is there's a different format when you're reading online compared to a book. Um, yeah. And you seem to have gripped that. Um, where, where's the children's book coming in? And if it's something you don't want to talk about what it is, that's totally fine. Some, some ideas are precious and they incubate and you don't want to like share the, the idea, but, um, what, what drove you that way? Yeah. So it's actually, um, I'd love to make an actual like hard copy book at some point, but right now what I've been doing is I have a podcast called Storyland, just Storyland, all one word. And, uh, I just put it out, I think back in September is when I started it, but, the way this originated was I found myself telling my kids stories from my head where I would literally just make them up on the spot. And every time I would do this, I kind of knew some basics of like telling a good story. Like there's gotta be a protagonist and there's gotta be a villain or a problem or some kind of issue that suddenly somebody has to overcome and like ending stories kind of with a cliffhanger said so that my kids are like, no, you have to tell me the rest. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so I, you know, I, I was telling my kids these stories before bed and they usually last like, I don't know, six or eight minutes, that kind of thing. And, um, seeing my kids reactions to it and how much mm-hmm. they liked them. I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just like take out my voice memo app and just record these things as I'm, as I'm saying it. And sometimes they, would come out really cool. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they'd be just super lame. But what I would do is I would then go back to my computer and re-record this, the whole thing with like my podcasting equipment. And I have access to these sound effects libraries and like music where I can like insert sounds. So it sounds really real. And, and maybe it's just because they're my kids. I don't know, but they love these things. And, uh, and it's, it's really fun to see their reactions and I don't know. I think at some point, if any of these stories like is a clear winner, like if it's just really popular on the podcast, maybe I'll be like, well, maybe I could make a book out of that. Like take everything I just said, write it out, get an illustrator to put a book together. And I think what I'm waiting for is that I want to get a story that has some kind of a moral message about like money or I don't know, Mm -hmm. something like that, because I feel like it would work well with Ari Tipster, like I, it would actually serve yeah. a dual purpose of that audience might be interested in it too. So that's kind of what I'm looking for, but it hasn't quite hit me yet. <laughs> that's, that's really, really amazing. I've, I've shared that experience with you. Um, I have three boys and it's been a while since I've done this. Um, in fact, I think in my own life, I need to step back and, and prioritize my kids again, because I've gotten so driven to make a, a success out of these different endeavors. Um, yeah. yeah, we used to do these stories and making them up on the fly is very challenging. It is really difficult to just pull some kind of like plot out of your head and yeah. entertain your kids. But even if mine were awful, and I think most of them were, the kids love it. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I, yeah. and that's the thing. It's like, uh, I think a, a lot of kids, like it's not, it's not that hard to impress them. And maybe that's uh, 
I, I just know like sometimes I'll, I'll read certain books to my kids before bed. And sometimes I'm just like, man, what kind of drugs was this person on when they wrote this story? It's really <laughs> weird. And, yeah. But like, it's super popular and it, everybody loves them. So it's like, I guess I don't have to be a, have this brilliant storyline because if this worked, maybe I can come up with something too. <laughs> yeah. Have you run into uh, the kids' book Junie B. Jones before? Are you familiar no, with those I at all? Uh, don't. I'm not recommending them necessarily. If, if you like them or anybody listening, if you like Junie B. Jones, that's great. My wife and I were talking earlier today. She's reading those to to my two youngest, and uh, this this girl like does all these naughty things like Curious George used to do. Um, but oh, okay. then somehow at the end, she she gets like special treatment, and you're like, wait, you get to do all kinds of bad things, and and then you get favored for it. We don't. Not fair. That's not fair. Yeah. Yeah, but there's there's something about that the the curious George stories and Junie B Jones that I think speaks to a soul condition. I think that we want to know we can really screw up and somebody still is going to to love us. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, curious George. Like you read all those stories and they're all basically the same story. Right? Right. Curious yep. George gets into some mischief and screws up, but he ends up like better off in the end. And you know, there's something about that because I remember as a kid, like I love those stories and my kids love them. So I think you're right. There's something about that. Yeah. And the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking about your process and doesn't surprise me at all, just seeing how you've boiled everything down to, I think, the lowest common denominator in a, in a really helpful way. So if you've never looked at land investing before, you can go on your website and get a grip of what's going on and walk away feeling like, hey, I could do that. Um, yeah. As that applies to this story writing idea, C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia for his yeah. niece. I want to say it was his niece. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. Oh, but, really? I don't even know. Uh, that. Yeah, I believe his niece's name was Lucy and he wrote the books oh. for or started writing the books for her. Um and there's something about children's stories well executed that I think have even more lasting power in some ways than many other stories. Uh, you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm assuming. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Are there any early ones that uh, not necessarily the Chronicles of Narnia but any early stories that feel formative to you like specifically create created for kids? Yeah question you mean like um like literal children's books or like yeah. more or, no- I mean, novels like uh chronicles of narnia either way yeah just either kind one? of whatever whatever lands for you yep yeah well you know there, there's another you know the book corduroy about the yes the bear i don't even know what it is about that but something about it it's um like as an adult i really love that story and my kids love that story and um hmm. i know there's another one um Gosh, I'm forgetting the names of them, but um, I think there's certain human experiences that like every human really enjoys, like whether it's meeting a new friend or like seeing somebody in your life that you think is a threat or is a, a bad person, but then they do something and it turns out they're actually on your side. Like they're hmm. not a threat. They're a good person. They're your friend. Um, and that's, uh, I know that's like a common theme that I somehow end up weaving into a lot of the stories that I make up on the spot. Like, hmm. you know, there's a, there's a big mean bear that was scaring these kids, but yeah, turns out the bear was actually just scared and, and he <laughs> was nice and he wants to be your friend. And uh, I just like this pleasant surprise that comes out of the end. Um, and even like CS Lewis, I know he's got, uh, I mean, each one, of, one of the Chronicles of Narnia sort of takes a different angle, but um it's, it's always kind of fascinating, this idea of like, like the wardrobe, you know, this mm-hmm. passageway into a totally different world. That's mm-hmm. uh, just the magic behind that. And, you know, all of the things that can happen on the other side, it's, uh, 
you almost find yourself looking at objects in your own house. And it's like, I wonder if that's a portal to another world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, don't know. I think he did a pretty profound job with that. He he did amazing. Yeah, I'm thinking a couple of things. The the Lord of the Rings would be kind of in a similar vein, yeah, not necessarily totally. for kids, but that Aragorn character early on, you think that he's a bad guy, he's hiding in the shadows, and then you realize he's the king. That's kind of an interesting yeah. progression. Yeah. It is. Um thematic for me in my life has actually been that idea of the wardrobe. Uh, I don't remember which book Lewis says it in, but he says you never get to Narnia the same way twice. Um, and oh, and I just yeah. So I mean, in each book, you know, it's it's one time it's through a painting, one time it's through a wardrobe, mm. uh, one time it's through the train station. I I can't rattle them all off, but uh, I, I wonder how much do you feel that that's applicable if you look at your own life and getting to success moments. How many times have you wanted to do the exact same thing and can't replicate <laughs> it? And what is that? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a. That's a, a theme in my life of, um, I don't know how many times I've been like burned by this, but it's something that I get frustrated by a lot. Like, I just want to figure out the formula to something and just like do it and just do it again and again and, and have it spit out results every time. Mm. And uh, I think, you know, obviously when you find a formula, it is going to work for a while, but like it will never stay the same. Things will always change and people's minds will change. The market will change. Like the economy changes what you do today is not always going to work. And uh, I think that's, I think part of me is just lazy. Like I just don't want to do the work to learn it all over again. But part of me is also like sort of fear driven. And every time something changes, it's like, uh Oh, like, will I figure out how to do it again? Or is this it? Like, is this done? And, um, And, you know, every time I have to reinvent the wheel, like that's a, just a struggle to figure out what's going to happen here. Can I figure this out? Or is this Mm -hmm. just, finished um so yeah I, i'm just i'm very familiar with that and that is an interesting concept i've never even noticed that about narnia how there's you never do it the same way twice <laughs> yeah but uh yeah I'm, I'm totally familiar with the frustration behind that yeah it, it seems it seems that uh the the difference between i think where where you've come to with, with Ari tipster. And I think where a lot of us are, um, and I would definitely put myself in this category still is there, there seems to be the ability for somebody like you to look in the face of failure and, and say, mm, I just have to see it a different way. Um, does that ring true with you at all? You know? Um, yeah. Like I, I still don't want to fail. Like I, I don't think anybody really wants to look like a fool and admit like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just spent a bunch of money and it didn't work out. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, I, I think the way that I deal with the fear, fear of failure, at least on a public level is just trying to stay humble and like never getting too arrogant about what I know or what I'm good at. Or, um, and I know that's in the real estate space. Anyway, that seems to be a, a pretty popular stance is where people are just kind of like, you know, look at my Ferrari and the bag of cash behind yeah. me. Like I, I've got all the answers come with me. And uh, maybe that works for him, but I, I mm-hmm. I'm not that guy. Like I'm just, I don't have that much confidence and I am afraid of things. And so I, I try, mm-hmm. try not to like pretend I have everything figured out. It's more of a, again, like this just worked for me recently. Let me show you how this works. And, uh, and hopefully people will get value out of that and they can, it works for them too. But if it doesn't, it's not like I promised him it was going to work. 
yeah, I, there's there's a fine line right there too. It, you're not necessarily promising somebody that something's going to work, but I think that you can look them in the eye and say, or or you know, the video, look them in the eye and say, yeah. if you follow these steps, um, you have a great chance of of big success. Yeah. Um, yep. The time frame on it is what is so wild. So it sounds like ten years to develop uh, RE Tipster, and along the way, is there a point where you say, "Okay, this is covering all the bills. This is covering what I'm doing. I get to step back." Has your wife stepped back? I mean, how how involved is is all of that? And and what's that moment of realizing yeah. you've got more than a viable thing? You've you've really built. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good question. It's uh, kind of a lot of people out there try to do this kind of thing, whether it's mm-hmm. building a blog or YouTube channel or podcast. And mm-hmm. I think sort of the dream, the best case scenario is that this covers all the bills and I can be done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I already tips here has never been like my only thing, but these days it's, you know, what I spent probably 80% of my working life doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, like a big light bulb moment, I think it was about a year, year ish after I started it when I made my first like paid downloadable product where I mm-hmm. put together the postcard templates that I use and I put it together, I grabbed what I had been using and that was working for me, wrote a big blog post about, I basically gave the information away. And I mm-hmm. said, you know, this, if you want to write your own version of this, here's what you could say, you know, here's the images of what they look like. Here's how you can actually get them sent out. And, um, and at the very end, it's like, you know, I realized some people just want an easy button and if you want to just download literally exactly what I use, you can do it right here for seven bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the first day I put that out there, somebody bought it that day for seven bucks. And I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> I just made seven bucks. I can't believe like this actually works. Yeah. And, uh, but just like seeing that first transaction was like, okay, there's something here. Cause mm-hmm. I could either like make this bigger or increase the price or get more traffic or something and, you know, make more products. And that's basically what I did was over the next several years, I just took like a lot of the stuff that had been working for me and found ways to like have the blog post and the video where I basically give everything away. But then like, if somebody really wants it, like spoon fed to them, then they could buy it. And again, the goal is like, I don't want people to feel like I'm selling them. Like I want them to walk away with value, even if they don't buy anything. And uh, it, again, it just, it leads to this like organic type of uh, revenue stream where like, I don't really fully understand where these people are coming from or like what makes them buy it or not buy it, but it works and money comes in from it. And when you have, you know, several versions of that kind of thing, plus affiliate links, plus ads, plus a few courses, like it adds up and it becomes a, a nice business. And um, so in terms of like my wife, she stopped working back in, I think it was 2014 or 2015, something like that. So she's been a stay at home mom since then. Um, and I quit my job in 2016, really 2016. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And it's, I think back when I did that, Ari Tipster was, it wasn't the only source of income. It never really has been, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it was basically enough to like replace what I was making for my job at the time, mm-hmm. but having, you know, no more job at that point, I could spend most of my time now making RE tipster even better and coming up with other ways to monetize it. And it's kind of just gone up from there. And I think the key that makes all this work is first of all, having something and coming up with enough ideas that people are willing to pay for, but more importantly, like really loving it. Like 
man, like every single day when I wake up and it's a work day, I'm just like, yes, I get to go work. This is going to be so much fun. And uh, that's just a huge, important thing because believe me, there's tons of stuff I've spent tons of time on that has Mm -hmm. paid back nothing and it never will. And it's uh, on one hand, it's frustrating, but on the other hand, it's like, well, but that was still kind of fun. So it's fine. I'll just keep doing that. And hopefully something will eventually work. And uh, I think probably the biggest challenge most people have is getting to the point where they can take that leap and, you know, have enough wiggle room to spend their time trying things that don't always work out. Yeah. I've got a good friend. He's going to know exactly who he is when he hears this story, but uh, he he has an opportunity to uh, leave his W-2 and go kind of pursue something more similar to this. There's there's going to be a program aspect to it. It's going to be not exactly a podcast, but there's going to be that element of you can reach anybody in anywhere and have yeah. discussions. And, and the product itself is going to be something that's automated. You just buy it and you follow along with the courses and it teaches you what you need to know. And I told him, Everything I understand says it's a great jump. You know, the person you're getting in the business with, you know, what, you know, the failure points could be, and you know, the kind of work ethic you have. Uh, and, and he's still at that point where he's like, I'm just really scared not to have health insurance. Yeah. And I'm like, how do you, how do you help somebody? And, and you can't really, you can't help him. And this, I think is swirling around part of our conversation. If you can't make anybody succeed, but how does someone like you have that, that aha moment where you say, the other side of your journey is you're going to make more money and you may already, but just let's not worry about health insurance because at some point you make enough money that health insurance is a waste of your money and you might as well just self-insure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I remember that being a, a mental obstacle for me too. And I feel like that's something everybody in the U S has to deal with anyway. And um, <laughs> so what me and my wife did was we put together what we called the apocalypse budget. So we <laughs> thought, okay, like if everything just goes horribly wrong, like if everything mm-hmm. fails, like what is the absolute minimum amount of monthly income we need to like make the mortgage payment, keep the heat on, keep the lights on, keep, you know, rice and beans on the table. Mm-hmm. And we, we found out like, we didn't really need that much. Like it was mm-hmm. actually really surprising. And we've never really been people to like live beyond our means anyway. Thanks to my mm-hmm. wife. She's really good at keeping everybody in line, but mm-hmm. Um, once I realized like, we don't really need that much money, um, that gave me a lot of comfort and also, uh, with health insurance specifically. So that first year we signed up for the marketplace, which I think still exists in, in the same way that it did. Um, but it basically just means depending on your income, I think once you make over 70 grand, there's like no point to do it, doing it anymore. But, you know, again, if things went terribly wrong and we had no money, they would, cover some or all of our health insurance. And if you end up making too much money, you got to pay it all back. But mm-hmm. at least like that issue is solved. Like that's not yeah. a reason why you have to stay in your job. Um, and uh, and yeah, it, it's also just realizing that like, as long as you've got a sustainable, viable business, like if it's making anything for you now, and you have any idea how to make more of that doing the same thing, mm-hmm. like your income is going to go up as long mm-hmm. as you take your time and plow it into that. And that's, it is a big leap of faith because you don't, you don't know that, but just, you know, you just look at the logic behind it. Like if, if you've been able to build up something in your spare time to this point, like just do a lot more of that once you're done with your job and it's going to get bigger. Yeah. Yeah. You just sort of tripped an idea and I don't know, this might go nowhere, but you, you mentioned, uh, you know, it's, if you've built anything, it's only going to go up. And I'm thinking, 
uh, a big piece of RE Tipster, I, there's actually, oh gosh, I want to go in so many directions. A big part of it is uh, what you're creating in terms of the courses, that content is perennial. You just, or, or am I, yeah, it's perennial. I mean, you can keep dipping back into it and, and those courses can sell forever. So you've actually created an asset. Um, that's a huge word for people who aren't in the real estate investing community assets or something that we want to build more of and, you know, ditch the liabilities. Yeah. Um, I wonder, have you ever thought of it that way or what? Uh, in terms of uh, what, well, like I can just. You're creating it. assets, like uh, oh, yeah. actual intellectual totally. assets. I, I don't know if I've ever thought of it that way before. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly like, it's like a rental property, but a heck of a lot easier because it's not a physical thing. It's a digital thing that's infinitely scalable as long as you can find more people to buy it. So, mm-hmm. um and that, that was something that really appealed to me is because I know like doing land deals or rental properties, like it's. There are awesome businesses that totally work and they're proven, but like it still requires like you doing something like every single time any money is made, like you have to take some action and work at it, which is fine. And I think short term, that's what most people should be doing. That's mm-hmm. a, a fast way to build up cash quick, but the long term, it's uh, the scalability thing appealed to me. And like when you're selling any kind of digital product or even like an affiliate link that somebody else has the product. It's not even me. I'm just sending people to the thing that works for me. Um, like I don't have to keep inventory of anything. I don't have to pay for anything up, up front. It just like happens if a person buys. And uh, that's a really cool part of that business model for sure. Yeah. And it's it, it got me thinking of this idea of the things that we create, if they have value, then they become an asset. Cause you could, you could create a course that, that was, there just wasn't enough there. You could create something, throw it out there and it doesn't have value to somebody and it's not an asset. So I guess almost the fact that you're tapping into value is what is then creating that product that has lasting value. Yeah. And I can't tell you one note on that. So like with the idea of creating a course, like we, we have made courses that have totally like flopped Mm -hmm. and it's a huge kick in the gut because it, of course <laughs> takes a, like a year or more to make mm-hmm. a course. And then you put it out there and like, nobody wants it. Nobody buys it. And that kind of thing is, I don't know, it's really, um, it hurts to see that. And it's something mm-hmm. to be aware of. Like that is possible. Like you mm-hmm. can spend a whole lot of time on something that nobody values and nobody wants or cares about. And, uh, and I think basically the mistake we made was thinking we understood what people wanted and, uh, I think to the extent that you can sort of create smaller versions of that, like don't, don't make a full course, but make like one little thing that's going to help. Even if it's like, here's a, you know, this is, sounds really lame, but here's like a PDF or something that like contains actual serious, like legitimately helpful information, not just like run of the mill ebook that everybody has, but like something that's really going to change your life. And try to sell that one thing for like 50 bucks or something, mm-hmm. uh, or even like five bucks, I mean, whatever price you want to put on it. Um, because at that point, if you make that and it fails, like you didn't spend a year doing that, it took mm-hmm. you a lot less time. And, uh, and really if you can make several versions of that, um, that can almost be better than making a course. So yeah. just kind of finding ways to prove the concept before you've invested all the time and wasted mm-hmm. potentially your time doing it. Well, there's two areas that I want to go. Uh, the first area is um, 
I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. So uh, bear with me for just a moment. You proved your concept uh, of, of flipping land. And you mentioned um, it's not something that you wanted to do forever, at least have that be your full-time job because it's yeah. very energy. Uh, well, there's a lot of uh, input of energy to get it to work. Um, and so you, you use that to kind of step into something different. Mm-hmm. You don't have to answer this question if you don't want. That's why I'm trying to be really careful how I phrase it, but it's Ari Tipster for you, a launching pad into another passion project, or is it become the passion project? I'm trying to leave yeah. it open enough. So it doesn't, I'm not asking you, you know, when, when are you going to quit Ari Tipster, Seth? Yeah. <laughs> That's not my question at all. It's, it, you know, is it your passion in life, I guess? And how has it become that? Yeah. That's a good question. I, I don't really know what the future holds for. I, I never really have. I've never really had like a five-year plan. I'm like, it will be this mm. five years from now. It's more of a, I really like doing this today. So I'm going to keep doing this. And mm. um, I mean, in terms of um, like, how long will I be doing it? I don't really know. I, I think until it gets boring for me or until, I don't know, if I if I feel like people are losing interest maybe, or if if I'm not being that helpful anymore, then, you know, if I stop getting that positive feedback uh, or, you know, signs that like, this is working, like this is doing good. Uh, and there's many different ways to measure that, but if that kind of stuff slows down or stops, then I probably would eventually fizzle out and stop doing it because why would I do something nobody cares about? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really been a useful thing. Like I've learned a lot about the land business because of doing this. It's not like I'm coming to the table with all the answers, but when you show up with some answers, you start hearing a lot more from other people about what's working for them. And like something I love doing is heading to our Facebook group and just like, I don't even have to participate. Sometimes I'll ask the question or sometimes I'll try to answer somebody else's question, but just seeing what other people are saying about like, Oh yeah, you can do this too. And there's also this, or this doesn't work. It's like, again, it's like, I'm sort of the student along with everybody else. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm figuring out what works. Um, so that's been really rewarding. And also getting to talk with other people that are specialists in other areas, like something I'm trying to, trying to get into is uh, self-storage investing. And okay. through like the podcast and YouTube channel, I've been able to talk with lots of other self-storage investors and people that I otherwise might not be able to get an audience with that, you know, want to be on Ari Tipster so I can talk to him that way. So yeah, it's really been useful in like a lot of different ways. And uh, I think as long as I can just look at it from the standpoint of like, this is not for me to like squeeze money out of people or like take people for all they're worth. Like this is for me to like learn what I can and hopefully be useful to other people. And um it's a, as long as it remains a community that is not just about me, I think it'll be a good long-term thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, part of the question, it's somewhat coming from a selfish place, but uh, I had the idea for create collaborate. Um, I was walking our, our dog um, and it just kind of came to me 
the whole cut, like the whole cloth of it. And I, I was thinking, here's an opportunity to do something that I love. Um, I get to tell stories. So we take a, an hour to an hour and a half and have a conversation with somebody. And sometimes it's a real clear cut. This is going to be, you know, an idea that we put between two covers and it's a book. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a story more like this one where you're not going to walk away with one narrative uh, about Seth Williams, but you're going to get a really good sense of who he is. And there's no business aspect to it. Um, then at the end of it, you know, we get to write something and, and not like every guest, but sometimes we get to write something. That's the collaborative part is you come on and you meet somebody through my community who wants to help you write what you write. Uh, and we get to publish that through a a platform that is going to have some kind of proven elements to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to benefit too, because I'm going to build a community of people who are telling me how to do things. I have no clue how to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so, that's part of my question too. And and you answered it plenty, but it's that idea of create collaborate is not my passion in life, but the purpose of it is my passion in life. Uh, and, and still I wake up first thing in the morning and write my novels and that's kind of the secret project, but I'm thinking part of it is to prove like this, this idea works, what we're doing works, uh, how much, I don't know. Let me, let me just kind of step back. And if there's anything there that struck a tone or a note for you. Yeah. So, so if I'm hearing you right, so you have like writers who will help people who want to tell stories and they work together on putting together an actual tangible story. Is that, is that, yeah. that right or not? Yeah. Yeah. A big part of this will be that there's going to be people in the community who write, um, but maybe don't have ideas that they feel like are, are ready to go. And they might run into somebody who's got a fully fledged idea, but not the skill to write it the way that they always wanted to. Sure. Gotcha. And so it's almost like, um, yeah, I think I heard you saying, and, and your involvement is that in that is that you just want to create the the community or the platform where it all comes together, but it's not, but that machine isn't necessarily what you're in love with. It's just kind of a means to an end or something or. Um, yeah, I mean, not necessarily a means to an end. I think that writing somebody else's story would never be my true passion. Writing mm-hmm. my story is probably my passion, mm-hmm. but stories in general are my passion. I spend far more of my time reading than I do uh, writing. So mm-hmm. I love other people's stories and it's a natural outflow to recommend stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for me, for me to say at the end of the day, and it, I think unless, I mean, really you might hear something different than I do, or the people listening might. I think that you saying land investing is my purpose is different than saying, Hey, I found this thing that works really well, that drives a lot of my internal passions, but it's not necessarily the thing. I Mm -hmm. think that's the parallel of what I'm trying to say is that you could become very busy doing something that you're good at and that gets all of your engines going, but maybe Mm -hmm. doesn't key in to your true purpose. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might make sense to uh, like land investing, for example, like I I wouldn't say that I'm like super passionate about it, but it works. Mm-hmm. And I know how hard it is to find any business in any domain that works. Um, something that, um, or at least maybe it works for me is a better way of saying it. Like there's plenty of businesses that work, but like I'm not good at them or I don't enjoy them. Whereas land for me was, it was you know, low enough risk, low enough competition and you know, good enough profit margins. And it was simple enough that just, it just worked. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I knew how hard it was to find it in the first place. And so once I did, it's like, okay, I got to hang on to this thing. And, um, but even then, like, I wouldn't say it was my passion. It was just the vehicle that would allow me to do other things. I think that's totally fine. I think as long as you're serving that original thing well enough, you don't have to like be in love with it, but 
um, just do it justice. And if you're doing like a, a bad job of it, then like, don't do it. You know, like if it's the Abe Lincoln quote, like anything worth doing is worth doing well. So make sure you're yeah. doing it well enough. And uh, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that's a problem at all. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or not. <laughs> well, we're, we're getting to a, a point I, I'm thinking about, uh, I've, I've wanted to ask a couple of times, but you, you bought the plot, the coffee. Um, yeah. I can't think what they're called. They're not called orchards, but anyways, you bought that land that eventually mm-hmm. is going to make you some money through the coffee. Mm-hmm. You're talking about self-storage, which to me says you really like hands-off type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm kind of, I, I guess I'm not doing a good job of asking or kind of getting to the heart of what I'm wondering, but you, you're driven to build things that give you the ability to have freedom. Mm-hmm. What does that freedom mean to you? Or what what's inside the freedom that is the passion, I guess? Yeah, I think for me, it's, um, yeah, it's a good question. I think in a, it's a sort of like a personal flaw, but a lot of the ways that I think about life and the world and the lens through which I view things is sort of based on fear. Like I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough, like Mm -hmm. somehow it's all going to fall apart and we're all going to go hungry and homeless and all this stuff. Like I, like it's crazy when I stand back and say that out loud, but like, I, I think that way. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times what I'm trying to do is it's not that I want to stop Ari Tipser. It's not like, a, no. like, gosh, just let me get out of this thing and make noise. Like that's totally not my approach, but, but still it's uh, it's, I feel like I've just been really fortunate to find something that, you know, a few things really that I like well enough and do make money and uh, and I'll continue to do them as long as I still like them reasonably enough. And uh, in terms of like passion projects. So like, you know, there's the, I like writing kids stories and that kind of thing. It's not like that's all I want to do, but that's, uh, you know, I like having the freedom to do that kind of stuff when I have time. Um, it would be nice. Uh, it's kind of funny. Like sometimes I, I think to myself, like someday I'll be, I'll be able to just like retire or like stop all this. Cause I'll finally have enough. I don't know what that number is, but someday it'll happen. But then when I really think about it, I'm like, what are you going to do with your life? Because mm-hmm if you really like what you're doing now, why would you stop? Um, and so like, I, I really can't tell you that there's some thing on the other side that I'm gunning for that I want to have happen. Cause like, I really like what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, there might be like, I think maybe just the medium of blogging and YouTubing and podcasting. I mean, there might be like some totally different unrelated audience out there that I also feel an affinity with that I want to help. Um, so maybe there's like something there at some point, but I, I would still be doing this kind of thing. It's not like I would mm-hmm. be pulling the plug so I can just be done. Um, so yeah. Am I helping at all? Right? Oh man. I'm yeah. I, I really, I, I was reflecting on what you were saying and I was thinking there's actually, and I'm such a bonehead. It always takes me a while to get where I need to go, but you talking me through that question sets it up. So the way that I'm thinking of it right now is my mom has always said from the time she was like eight years old, she knew she wanted to be a nurse um, mm-hmm. and her entire career. She's been a nurse. She's really never done anything but nurse. It was her mm-hmm. purpose in life. Um, it's nice to dad, have that kind of clarity, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and then, you know, my dad told me early, find something you love to do and, and figure out how to make money doing it. Um, that's kind of the more, um, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, but that's, that's the economic approach to it, I guess. And in my life, I've known for a very long time, exactly what I wanted to do. 
And it's always been, how do you make money doing what you love to do? So Mm -hmm. on the one hand, what I'm hearing you say, and maybe I'm wrong, correct me if I am, but what I'm hearing you say is there are some things that light you up, but there's not like the thing. Um, And you found something that you're really good at, and that's good for you. That is the story versus me. I know what I want, but I can't figure out how to make that engine turn. So we're fundamentally different people, which everybody is, but we're almost approaching life from the opposite side of the spectrum in some ways. Does that resound for you at all? Yeah. So, and the, the thing that you love and that you want to make work and be monetizable is this fiction story writing thing. Yeah. I would love it if I was a full-time, you know, if I was traveling and and FSG published my novels and I got to go do readings and sell books Mm -hmm. and, you know, wake up every morning and, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, Something you could do, and, and this is more achievable now than it's ever been, is like whether it's this thing you're doing or like YouTube or a blog or something, um, kind of like what I did with my real estate investing career, just taking what I knew and trying to put mm-hmm. together applicable, like actionable, helpful things that's free that people would be willing to pay money for because it's so helpful. Right. And uh, like, you know, I in the process of trying to figure out this uh, kids stories thing, like, you know, there's a handful of uh, YouTubers out there who are like, they're nothing special. They're Mm -hmm. just normal people who, you know, thought through, you know, here's five different ways to end your story or don't ever start your story with it. I mean, you know, fill in the blank with all these things, but like you could do a similar thing, just helping people figure out like, this has worked for me well in writing fiction. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not the act of actually writing a fiction story, but like, it's stuff you have to think about anyway and things you already know. And uh, I mean, especially if you can like get lucky enough to hit a topic that blows up for some reason, I mean, Mm -hmm. people can make, you know, I mean, it depends how far you go, but people can make money just on YouTube, you know, on ad revenue and that kind of thing. So, but becoming known as like a person who understands this stuff, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people can come to you for ideas and insight and you know, when they have a problem in their own writing process, like they'll think of, of you and yeah. I don't know, there's a, a lot of, uh, a lot you can do once you sort of position yourself in that way, whether it's intentional or not, but it sort of starts with putting good ideas into the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, I do think that, that create collaborate satisfies the, the itch that I've had to, to provide, uh, a service to people. I think that that we get the, the opportunity. And, and I told you, I think early before we started recording that my newness to this will show. And I think it has in some ways, it's very difficult to ask questions. You've been uh, gracious and letting me meander through thought processes yeah. to find something. But Don't find. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, it's, it's the sense that uh, there's, I, I like the way that your story tells. And I, I think I want people listening to hear that that one one way a story tells is by living the life. Um, and and then the other way that a story tells is by living the life and not realizing that you're even trying to tell a story, um, which feels like what's happening to me. I'm waiting for something to begin um, where you seem to have really taken uh, the opportunity to just let your actions be the story in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes I think about that when I'm trying to put together like just a standalone piece of content, whether it's a, a five minute video or something. It's like, yeah, how does this fit? You know, like, I don't know, like, where's this even going to go? Maybe it's like just a really brief, like, here, quick idea for you. And I think you never really know, but sometimes just by like 
moving, like just do something, you know, and maybe it'll be brilliant, maybe not, but it's better than just kind of sitting around wondering what you should do. I just kind of start bumping into walls and making mistakes and, Mm -hmm. and cool things can happen that way. Yeah, absolutely. Just the, the boldness to create. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a difficult process. How long did it take you to get comfortable with uh, creating content or do you think you're still not there? Uh, it kind of depends on the type of content with writing. Um, that was never really that hard. Uh, videos, I'm probably still not comfortable. Uh, I think every time I shoot a video, it's, it is hard. Like the actual shooting of it. I don't know what it is, but like there can be nobody else in the room and I hit record and I just like freeze up and I can't get my words out. And, um, and luckily I've gotten good enough at editing everything together. So it comes out like I'm a smooth talker or whatever, but it's, it's rough for me to shoot stuff like that. And podcasting is also, it's probably easier because there's no visual element to worry about, but still like, if it's just me and a microphone, like I'm not somebody who can just freestyle and talk and make it sound good. Like I need energy in the room from somebody else or, you know, very specific things that I'm trying to say. And, um, so that's also kind of challenging, but, um, but oddly enough, like as hard as it is, like, I, I love the end product so much. Like it's so fun to have something that's finished and I know it's good and it's polished and like, I know it's going to help people and, um, and putting it out there. Like, it's just, it's really exhilarating to me to hit publish and know that like, this isn't just something I threw together that nobody's going to care about. Like this will change somebody's life if they watch this. Uh, and that's really rewarding to me. Yeah. You've, you've seen that a fair amount. I'm thinking, and, uh, just Jesse Marshland, right. He's one of your yeah, Marshand. Yep. Marshand. Yeah. I've seen him be kind of close and tight in that community for a long time. You've changed some people's lives. Uh, what, what is that? What is that like for you? I mean, what's the the sense there? And did you know that would happen? Yeah. You know, I was talking to somebody, uh, Jesse from uh, REI conversion. I was talking to him about that yesterday. He's like, you know, people, people talk about you all the time. Like, and I thought on one hand, it was really cool to hear that. On the other hand, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I get emails like probably once every other day from somebody saying something positive, which is really awesome. I love that. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of like the face-to-face interaction with people, interaction with people seeing their life change, like I don't, I'm not really aware of it, honestly. Like it kind of feels like I'm just isolated and just putting stuff out there and hoping somebody sees it and it's helpful. Mm -hmm. And um, it's weird because I know there's certain YouTubers and bloggers who have like completely changed my life. Like I see them as a, you know, Hollywood movie star level. Like I would, you know, rush them on the street if I saw it <laughs> and uh, like, they're just a huge deal to me. Um, and like, and that's basically what I'm trying to do to other people. Not, not like the fame, but just like, I'm just trying to help people. Like they were trying to help me. And it's, it's weird to me to think that I might be like that to someone else. It's, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's cool to know that I'm like actually making a difference in some way, but hmm. I don't usually see it. Like I'm usually not aware of it. I just, yeah. if I, if they finally find me someday and tell me it's like, awesome, that's really cool. But I'm usually just kind of oblivious to what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you feel like, uh, ego or, yeah, I mean, do you, do you feel like ego is an issue that you have to keep in check or have you never naturally gravitated that way? You know, I think on a conscious level, I don't struggle with that, with it that much. And I think it's because I'm, I'm just aware of like, I don't know, 
I'm aware of how much I don't know. And, you know, when I screw things up, I kind of beat myself up about it and that kind of thing. So uh, outwardly anyway, I don't like pride. I just don't think is a huge problem for me, but I think there may be some subconscious level stuff going on that I'm, I'm just not aware of until, you know, I see somebody else and I feel jealous of them for some reason. And it's like, mm. well, who do you, who are you to feel jealous? Like you don't deserve anything. Like you're not special. These are like the two sides of my brain arguing with, arguing with each other. And so I think there could be some ego kind of suppressed that I'm not clearly aware of, but again, like when I just am talking to you here, like, I don't feel like I'm an egomaniac necessarily. So, you've you've never, yeah, you've never struck me as, as having, um, you know, like a, a ego that, that uh, hits the scale, so to speak. Um, everything from you always feels really authentic and genuine. What I, what I will say, and, and I hope I don't get in any trouble for saying it, but when I watch you versus someone like Brandon Turner on a video, Brandon yeah. is compelling. It comes to him so easy and you can yeah. feel his ego just kind of like whoosh, filling the entire room. Oh, interesting. Not in a bad way, but just Mm -hmm. like he operates with ego, or at least that's how I perceive him. Um, I know for myself, like ego is something I always have to keep in check. I'm not even successful. And something that you said there about jealousy. Wow. That is so informative because I am always having to push the pause button on jealousy. I am jealous of so many people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. Jealousy. Sometimes it, Sometimes you, you almost don't even know that that's what's going on. It'll manifest itself as like anger or something. Like I'm, I find myself mad at somebody and it's like, why? Like, what did they even do? Like, it makes no sense why I'd be mad at them. And when I think about it, it's like, oh, okay. It's because they're really good at this thing that I'm not that good at. Or like, they're on this level that I will never achieve because that's not my skill set or gifts. And so that's where this jealous anger is kind of coming from. And um, I usually successfully just kind of keep that to myself or keep it in my head. Maybe I'll tell my wife about it. <laughs> like I don't just go telling everybody that like, you know, I have a problem with somebody for no reason because I'm jealous, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but just knowing that like, I have that, like I have issues where for no apparent reason, I just feel upset with certain people. And I think what it comes down to is insecurity. I'm not secure in who I am and what I can do. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been said so many times, uh, but that idea of insecurity and and ego going hand in hand is on on the one sense, I can give you every uh, example of of failing uh, in my own life possible, but in other ways, I know the things that that make me special and I can kind of inflate those in my brain and, and then I'm jealous when people do better than me at those things that I'm special at. So I don't talk about either of them. You know, I don't talk about being horrible or thinking I'm better than you, but when you're evidently better than me, it's great. And I love to see when I'm not quite as bad at you at the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is weird. Cause I mean, we're, we're all surrounded by people who are better than us at one thing or another. And sometimes like, I have no problem with it. It's like, awesome. You're really good at that. And other times it almost like steps on my toes in a weird way. It's like, Oh wait, I'm supposed to be good at that too. And I'm not as good as you. And now I'm bothered by that. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think if you can honestly step back and be like, you know what? Good for you. Like, I want you to do well at that. Even if mm-hmm. it's something that I also want to do well at, like it's okay. And that's uh that's the way a secure, mature person thinks and reacts to that kind of thing. And I, I can't say that's always been my thought process. So yeah. 
Certainly not mine. Um, you mentioned just a little bit ago, and it seems to me a, a decent landing spot for us, but you, you had said that there are some podcasters out there, some content creators and YouTubers that you would just like run out and, and, you know, just tell them how important they were to you, I guess. Yeah. Uh, who are a few of those people for you and why? Yeah. Uh, so Pat Flynn from smartpassiveincome.com. He was, he was honestly like a huge part of the reason why I ever thought to start Ari Tipster because I saw mm-hmm. what he was doing. Um, Corbett Barr from uh, fizzle.co. And he had a website back in the day called thinktraffic.net. And a uh, similar thing where I just saw what he was doing. And I, I saw how I could do the same thing in a totally different space as what he was trying to do. Um, it, I've been lucky enough to meet and talk to both of them. Um, awesome. Met Pat Flynn in person a couple of times and uh, just talked to Corbett on a zoom call once, but, uh, but yeah, it's um, people like that. or just people on like YouTube, for example, who I think are just doing an awesome job. Like I watch their videos on the regular cause I just love them. And uh, um, Antonio Centeno from uh, real men, real style. He's a channel I discovered years ago and he just does awesome work. And uh, yeah, people like that where, like I either really want to know what they're talking about and they're explaining it really well, or they're doing something and kind of inspiring me with really good ideas on how to do a similar thing in a different space. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll make sure to, to link to all three of those in the show notes here as well. Um, your RE tipster is a great place for people to find you. The forums just going to your website. Uh, is there somewhere else um, outside of, I want to, I want to land on the new podcast you have as well, but for RE tipster, where else can, can the listeners find you? Yeah. So um, we got a Facebook group. Um, you could connect with me on Facebook, although maybe that's not the best place. Cause a lot of times I just, don't respond to friend requests because they come in on the regular and I just don't know who these people are, but yeah. maybe uh, you could always shoot me an email, Seth at retipster.com. And as long as you write an email that sounds like you're a human and not <laughs> like a machine, we'll probably catch it and I'll probably see it. Yeah. Um, you could also tag me on uh, Twitter possibly or LinkedIn. Okay. Um, yeah. Any of those places are fine. Awesome. And because it's uh, uniquely kind of similar in ways, the the new storyteller podcast, I want to subscribe. I know other people will be interested in it. Um, go ahead and give me cool. one more kind of roundup of that and where we find it. Yeah. Uh, so it's called the Storyland Podcast. Uh, I can get you. There's actually a few different ones by that name, but okay. <laughs> the, mine is the one where uh, sort of a black background with little icon images of different story elements like a ring and a bear and a door and that kind of thing. Um, And uh, yeah, I can find the, it's on Apple podcasts. Okay. And um, it's just called Storyland by Seth Williams. So you should be able to find it there. Hopefully. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to tune into it. I'm excited about it. And then we're obviously a very small community at this point at create collaborate, but is there anything that we can do to be helping you out? Um, No, I, I just appreciate talking to you. It was awesome to hear more about what you're doing and, Yeah. If I can help you with something, let me know as well. Absolutely. Really appreciate your time, Seth. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Yep. Take care. Hey, and here's a little bonus track. If you stuck with me all the way to the end, you noticed that today's episode had a different intro than my first two episodes. 
It was the first intro that I recorded. I liked it. It made me laugh. It made me smile. But it felt a little bit short, a little bit abrupt, and I thought it was difficult to hear the name of the podcast over some of the other sounds. So I tried to professionalize the other intro, and that's what I'm planning on running with. But if you really super duper love the silly intro that I used for this episode alone, please let me know. You can reach out to my email address at jodyjsperling at gmail.com. And that'll get me the message that you really love it. Or just, I don't know how else you would reach me, but reach out if you loved it. Otherwise, I'm going to roll with the more professional, music-y sounding one. Again, thanks for listening. Please do like, share, and spread the word about Create Collaborate so that everybody can hear the stories. Otherwise, why spend your time telling them? Have a great week.